We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers speak basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined again by Tim, aka Cranger Smith Basketball. Tim, it has been a minute. Thank you for holding down the fort. But over the last couple of weeks, Lakers have started to show a little bit of signs of life against bad teams until an absolutely brutal buzzer beating L to the Pacers. We're recording this uh, Wednesday night, so just before the game, but. Yeah, it's been a minute, Tim. That was a, a tough way to go, but at least we have seen some 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 better play out of the team as of late. Yeah, they got some wins. The schedule lightened up a lot. That really, really helped. If you're playing the Spurs three times in six days, that's going to help your record. So the Lakers did what they needed to do. They won a lot of those games. They were competitive against the Suns. Pacers' loss was obviously really frustrating. That was a very winnable game. They were in control. Their like win probability was like 99.2% or something like that at one point. It was the first time in I don't know how long that they've blown a lead like that to that degree that late in the game. So certainly not good, but LeBron and AD are both back. They're playing. Uh, Beverly comes back tonight from his suspension. I know his absence has been received in different ways. His Reason for absence has been received in different ways. We didn't get a chance to talk about that. But uh, we're coming off. This is the last game of the easiest November schedule in the league. And the Lakers go right into December with the hardest schedule in the NBA. So things are about to get tougher. And we're really going to get a chance to see if they have improved and if they are playing better. Or if it was just a schedule thing. I'm, I mean, color me still more on the cynical side with this team as we'll get into the various kind of issues, but, you know, Anthony Davis is, had put, put the team on his back there for, you know, a 10 day stretch and really powered them through not only on, you know, the scoring front, but, you know, defense and rebounding. He's just been, yeah, absolutely dominant and it's been good to see, but I, I'm a little scared because there's this rhythm of the season we've gotten into with this team 
And, you know, it's right around getting Anthony Davis too much work time, uh, which it might even be early for that. You know, he's already had to cover the the load without LeBron, who does not look himself, um, both physically, it, I guess, even when he would be healthy, he doesn't look right. I, I don't know. We've seen a different guy from him so far, and he's still working his way into, you know, being, you know, IQ sharp all the possessions. He's still some bad turnovers and some um some force unforced errors, but you know, the team has shown more they're showing growth, I think, in good ways that I think we haven't seen in, in a long time. Um and it's getting deeper into sets. I think, you know, you could speak more about that. It's they've used a lot of different ones, but at the end of the day, their clutch discipline is really bad and i think that it's lost them like maybe three to five games this year you know they're on the winnable side so how does that how do you feel about the lakers in the clutch and maybe like what what aren't they doing where they they're just going iso it seems they're losing all of those structures from before yeah it certainly seemed that way and i'm gonna kill some time as i pull up the data to see if i can confirm this notion or not uh <laughs> what would we say clutch time? if we had to pick a time left in the fourth quarter i think it's, uh, the nba does five minutes but i i think that's fine like five minutes within or within five points okay all right well i'm gonna try to pull that up but something that i did notice is if you look big picture just at the fourth quarter overall it on the season hasn't been like it's not like the Lakers just stop running plays in the fourth quarter. We we've seen that in the past. I think we saw it in Game One this year. We saw it in Game Two this year. Uh, we saw it against the Pacers, but it's not from what I can see part of a like bigger picture structural problem where they just decide that you know the fourth quarter is is ISO ball time every game. Uh, I'll give you an answer in a second here when it comes to like clutch time in the fourth quarter, but that's at least encouraging to me that it's not just like fourth quarter, all bets are off. Let's stop running plays. Like football teams don't stop running plays when it gets to clutch time because you know, the plays help them be more effective, just like the plays have helped the Lakers be more effective. So that's certainly an element that it feels bad and it sucks that it happened recently, but I don't think it is necessarily a like, indictment on Darvin Ham or a, a bigger picture thing that I'm all that worried about. And I also want to make a note. I, I agree with you when it comes to like LeBron looking a bit different. He's, he's, it's looking more like later career Shaq where he's like going through guys more than going around them or trying to go over them. And he's still effective in a lot of ways. He's not effective to the same degree. And he, we're at the point where AD needs to be that top option, I think. Uh, yeah. And it, so far, he's kind of lived up to that billing, thankfully. Uh, so that encourages me a little bit. But I think we're very – for a couple of years now, we've been kind of waiting for, all right, AD is going to be the number one guy time. I think we're there. I think we're there. I think the number is going to show we're there. And the Lakers are using AD in smart ways. And when you look at like how much he's running on defense, it's down. It's like a career low how much ground he's needing to cover, yet he's still being incredibly impactful. He's staying around the rim. I talked about this on the last solo pod. Is just like 
with how they're using him schematically. It's not that I think he's fully unleashed the way he could if he were being more mobile, but given how the team's constructed, if you just keep him in front of the rim, that means you have to go through AD anytime you're trying to go to the rim. And he's able to impact more plays that way. And in that way, he's been incredibly effective while at the same time conserving himself a bit. And then offensively, if you look at his like his play type usage, he's not being used like some 1A scorer. He's being used like a roll and cut big that posts up every now and then. But they're drawing up all these great pick and roll plays and these cutting plays. And like he's he's being fed on dump offs well. Like he's impacting the game in a lot of ways and he's killing it in the box score. And truly is having a good impact without really needing to create or do too much on either end. So I'm more optimistic this year than I have been in the past when it comes to like, can he sustain this? Yeah, I obviously think he's been helped out by this offense a tremendous amount. And they they really put some focus on trying to put more movement around the post, give him like a safety valve exit when the double team comes and then they're just doing better at like Schroeder has helped a lot. I think with the kind of pick and roll chemistry and being able to get the ball up. And I don't know. It's, it's still just worrying to me getting him up in the air on his feet, off of his feet, excuse me, like lobs coming down. You know, he's such a dynamic player. It's, um, it's just the physicality. We still need to see the, uh, the consistency and him being able to stay healthy with that load, which he's only been able to do for some, you know, some stretches every couple seasons um, at this like dominant elite level. And we see it again, you know, this last couple weeks. But I, I really like what you said there about him being, you know, on defense. It's almost like they've, They've restricted the because the, they don't switch with him kind of on the perimeter. He's going to drop under stuff or have guys force over the top, right? And really just kind of give you that mid range instead of um, like switching more, which gives him opportunity to play like a real safety position, uh, mm-hmm. which allows him to be cut off. You know, anything from this or that side of the court, he can use his crazy athleticism and come over and affect a shot. And I think the Lakers defense has been pretty good as of late um, against bad teams, but he's a huge part of that. And I got to definitely credit the coaching staff for making that adjustment that you, you know, you talked a lot about them uh, mostly using AD in the, the drop role, which he hasn't really done like at all. Right. He's very rarely done in his career. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems like it's coming together, at least on the defensive end. Is that what you're just kind of seeing as well? That's what I'm seeing. And it's, it's in a way that if you would have told me about it two years ago, I would have been like, oh, that's a bad idea. Like if I were to tell you, hey, AD is being used the least versatile defensively from a coverage standpoint of any season in his, in his career. He's being used not that versatile positionally guarding different positions. I'd be like, you're not using AD. You know, you're, you're not unleashing the beast. Uh, you're not using the him like he was in the bubble playoffs where he was all over the place, able to run every coverage, defend every position. And it's just a completely different formula and it's dictated by who's around him. You can try to use him that way, but the team defense isn't going to be good because, yeah, AD's going to lock his guy down and then be 30 feet from the rim while, you know, you have a mismatch that someone else is having to try to deal with and, and you have a problem. And then and he doesn't with even have a so chance many of to these help. lineups, 
He's got no chance to help. And if he does, he's leaving a guy wide open. And when the second tallest guy in so many of these lineups is like Austin Reeves, I love Austin. I think Austin's a great player. He's not a, an adequate second best rim protector. The drop off from 80 to Reeves or 80 to Brown or 80 to Beverly is tremendous. So ensuring that you always have rim protection by only using him to defend around the rim is it's smart. It's a little counterintuitive to what we would have thought a couple of years ago, but it's smart. Uh, I've got an answer on clutch time. I did under five minutes, fourth quarter. I didn't, I didn't look at the, the score, but in those situations, if we look at the percentage of the time, the Lakers are running a set play, which we like a help beater, which we like. So that's when they run a post up and instead of just standing around, they've got guys cutting and screening for each other so that if you help, it gives, you know, LeBron or AD, we've seen it so many times this year, a great cutter to just pass to and get to a, get a layup or a guy flashing from the baseline and, and ducking in on a smaller defender, getting a lob or a kick out wide open three because you're pinning in the defender who's trying to help and then he can't recover. So set plays, help beaters, or even the motion offense, if we include those three things. They've done those things, uh, let's see, 38% of the time in clutch time. On the season, big picture, their average is 47% of the time. In the fourth quarter overall, it's 46% of the time. And my goal that I've had is like, hey, let's try to hit 50. And we've hit 50 a bunch of quarters recently. We've hit 50 a bunch of games recently. 37 is or 38 is not very good. So that that speaks to what you're talking about, Tom, how maybe big picture fourth quarter, it hasn't been an issue. But once you get into those like late game fourth quarter situations, the Lakers are not running organized basketball. And it really came back to bite them in the butt against Indiana. It's just they don't have that star ISO potential that they used to. And they have players, at least LeBron and Russell Westbrook, who rely on that still, and that's their instinct because that's what's gotten them through crunch times of their entire career. Um, and I don't know. It's just something I've noticed is throughout the season, the crunch time performance on offense has been really bad. And when mm -hmm. these guys are getting isolation possessions, it does not feel like there's going to be a good outcome. Um, even when Russ was made... You know, I think Russ made the only couple field goals the last like few minutes in that Indiana game. I think AD got some free throws, and I think maybe LeBron. But it they weren't good shots. They just went in. Um, like <laughs> he got a three that was open, but it's still like not the, what I want there. Um, and you know, Russ has been pretty bad. I think lately. Um, it's you know. It's still loud and turning the ball over and puts up stats and I don't know, just doesn't feel like um, like winning basketball. And to see him in crunch time, it's yeah, well, still doesn't feel like this team is putting the, every step forward yet. Yeah, he's had hot games. He's had some good defensive games. It's not in with none of these guys. It's every day they're great or every day they're bad or every day they're average. You're gonna have guys that you know, overall they're like above average, but some days they're great. Some days they're awful. A lot of days they're slightly above average, slightly below average. Russ has been, he's had a lot of bad games. He's had some good games against, I think the game against Indiana, uh, like looking at the box score wasn't bad. He was efficient. Uh, 
but he still takes away some things for you defensively. And that's hurtful. I think he certainly made a lot of shots that we're like, oh man, I don't know if this is a good one, but we'll take it. Uh, and it's emboldened him to take more of those. Uh, yep. I saw, did you see the stat? Somebody said that the Lakers were like, 0 and six when Russ rocks the baby. Oh no. I don't know if it's, I didn't, I didn't have it. I'm not going to fact check that. I'm not going to go through all the film to, to see if that happened or not. Like but he's only done it six times. No shot. I, that, I yeah, mean, that might actually be low. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's concerning, but he's, it is. he's been at the, I think for a lot of games this year, he's been at the level where like if AD and LeBron are both playing and they're looking good, it's fine. Off the bench, he's played a lot of games under 30 minutes at okay efficiency. Defensively, he's all right. You can still win that way. It's when he's playing 37 minutes or 35 minutes and he's doing that or he's playing his like 25, 27 and he's inefficient, which has still been a bunch of games where it's like this isn't, you can't win this way. So I, I, there are other pieces. Tom's disagreeing with me. He's about to disagree with me, but no, I mean he's he's, he's had enough. Really. I'm okay just laughing. Games. He's still not I'm, nowhere near worth his contract. Yeah, yeah. They're, I'm laughing at the idea that like <laughs> when we watch Russ and he comes in and like drains his first three, we all collectively go like, "Oh no!" <laughs> like the <laughs> the results uh, influencing the upcoming process we all know is on the table. You know what I mean? Like it again, being emboldened by some of these bad choices, having positive results, you just mm-hmm. see each, Oh, oh shit. Oh. And I can't think of like another player. I could really point to with that a lot, you know, young yeah. players really, which or gunner, the gunner type, you know, where the Jamal Crawford, well, you know, he can shoot himself into a Oh, and eight hole. Then he can come back and, you know, finish the game like 10 of 30 or uh, 10 of 21 or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And Russ, so he's shooting like, what is it, 32% this year? 31.6% on threes. He's got like top five three-point shot quality in the NBA. Like wow. his expected three-point percentage is like 38.5%. Same thing with Lonnie Walker. Yikes. Lonnie's underperforming his shot quality, but he's still shoot, he's shooting 36%. That's like good enough. He's underperforming, but that's still good, efficient basketball. Um, but if you like took him or Russ, because those have been the top two guys from a shot quality standpoint, and you plug in like an average shooter, these guys are shooting almost 40%. If you plug in a good shooter, they're shooting like 43%. Uh, if you plug those guys into an average team and they're getting 35% expected three-point percentage, they're, they're shooting not good three-point numbers. Um, so like the Lakers are generating those high-quality looks with Russ, it's just you're right. Sometimes when he makes them, it's like, oh, this is bad. And 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 to your point, the results are impacting the process, which isn't what we want. I mean, but look, I, it's it's a natural part of the game where you mm-hmm. feel in the zone, right? It's not a quantifiable thing per se, but we all have experienced it, and that it has to be a factor at points when you're playing a game like this. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe not with like three minutes left in a close game. Like if you're if it's it's just think it let's just be more deliberate. And right. I've seen it from the coaching staff. So they need to make those, you know, this is when we need to do this. Yeah. And I think we can argue and everybody will argue about rotations and this guy should play more. This guy should play less. These lineups shouldn't play together. These lineups should play more. 
you can have good debate on that. It's difficult to put together 48 minutes, 240 total minutes of, I think 240, right? Of uh, like good rotations. I have that rotation map tool Every time I tweet out, hey, this is what I think could look good, some people are like, I don't like it. I'm like, okay, go make one. And they're like, oh, never mind. It's hard. Um, that's hard. Some of the more straightforward stuff is the set play calling. Like the Lakers ran, they were organized 24% of the time in the fourth quarter against Indiana, which is 72nd of 77 quarters this season. Jesus. That's how low it was. Just atrocious. One of the worst of the year. I There's no excuse for that. I don't. It doesn't matter. I don't care who's on the floor. I don't care how the game's going. Run your shit. Run your plays. They work. They work better. They worked better in that game. They've worked better big picture. They've worked better almost every game this season. The set plays are better than the freelance offense. So you can't point, you can't go to me and be like, oh, well, you didn't understand the flow of the game. Like, no, the flow of the game didn't dictate that. Uh, so that to me is that's on the coaching staff. They've thankfully not had too many games like this, to be frank. So again, I don't want to try to make this too big of a deal. I think there's a tendency to say like, you know, in a frustrating loss, oh, well, this means that this guy's just bad or this coaching staff's bad. No, I think they've done a lot of really good things this year. And they've made some recent developments that I'd like to talk about as well that that have been looking really good. They've added a bunch of new stuff recently. That's looked good. But this was just a bad day for them. Quarter by quarter, they ran less and less and less stuff. 56%, then 43%, then 37%, then 24%. And you just can't win that way. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, let's take a quick break here. And on the other side, we'll, we'll dig in more into that and some thoughts on Patrick Beverly. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Tim. So I'm interested. You are you still tracking every single half court possession and set from the Lakers? I guess set. I should say. Uh, not just every set. Every you're right. Every half court possession. Every yeah, okay. time. Yeah, it's it it it's my personal prison. Uh. I have logs. Let me see how many. 
I can't stop now. I've logged 1,678 plays this year. I've tracked the uh, the game, the date, the opponent, the quarter, the uh, time, the clip and synergy starts, the play type, the type of attack between freelance, help beater, half court set, you know, sideline out of bounds, baseline out of bounds, whatever. The alignment, so like far out, one in, five out, horns, whatever. The set play, if they run a set play, I have every play they've run this year, all like, I can get you the number here in a sec. Every time they've run a unique play, I've captured the video for that. So I can tell you they've run this many, they've run uh, 608 set plays this year total. Uh, if you look at the unique plays they've run in the regular season, 162. So I have a video of all 162. And then I'm also saying, you know, here's who the scoring position went to, the results of it, how many points or expected points. And then I track who's on the court for that. So we could see fun things like, hey, when LeBron's in the game, the team runs set plays more, runs set plays less or whatever. Or when you have LeBron 80 plus Reeves versus LeBron 80 plus Walker, here's, you know, they get to the rim more or they're more efficient in their freelance or whatever. Um, I could tell you things like, hey, they've run five out more frequently the past three games than they had like all season. And it's been really effective and they need to go to it more because it's been much more effective than four out one in. It's been way more effective than horns. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a lot more spacing, at least in the like the lineup construction. So, but yeah, Mm -hmm. not sorry to interrupt, but yo, what are some of the like other trends, I guess, in in some of the stuff lately? Because I do feel like it's evolving, you know, over some of these new lineups and stuff. It is. So one thing we've seen trend down is the motion offense. At the beginning of the year, it was about 20% of what they were doing. In preseason, it was a much more, but now they're using it like 2% of the time. It's They're barely using it, yet they focused a lot of time in preseason on installing it. Little little odd to me. Uh, I don't think it's been particularly eff- – well, I know it hasn't been particularly effective. Uh, I don't have to think anything right. anymore. I know um, yeah. because I'm tracking all this goddamn stuff. Uh, but <laughs> So that's gone down. Their usage of like help beaters when they are isolating or posting up has been pretty solid this year. It's been better than it has in the past, and they've been very effective when doing so. Um, the five out usage, like I mentioned, has gone up. The uh, usage of like pistol, which if you just if you're listening, you can just Google like pistol NBA, and you'll you'll see set plays that start from the specific alignment where or go on 2K. you've got a player, yeah, or go on two K. Um, where the ball's dribbled up the sideline and you have a player who's like just inside the three-point line, like free throw line extended, either there to set a screen or get the ball. And then you kind of, the original player like might run around them to the corner. Um, they've run some modified pistol stuff a little bit more recently, not a bunch, but uh, the four out one in usage has really declined the past four games uh, after being like 75, 80% of what they've done. It's now like 40, 50%, which is interesting. They're using a lot more five out. So that's, that's good. I think it's been more effective. There are certain guys it fits better with. Like when they play small, this makes more sense. When you have Wending Gabriel out there, I would just run four out, one in. I don't I don't think it makes sense to run five out. And I tweeted about that and people got upset about it. They thought it was a shot at him. It's not a shot at him. It's it's a you know, fit your alignment to your personnel. So when you've got a non-shooting big, stick him in the dunker spot. Don't stick him in the corner. His defenses aren't gonna respect him. So little things like that I think are interesting. Uh Big picture, if you look at how often the team's running sets, first quarter, 48%, second quarter, 47%, third quarter, 46%, fourth quarter, 46%. There's like a tiny, tiny drop there, but not anything significant. This team is being pretty steady quarter to quarter in terms of how often they're running their stuff, which to me is a good sign. Uh, 
we've also seen them go to a number of specific set, uh, series of plays. And when I say a series, I mean like within horns, if you're thinking of like horns as a formation within that formation, they run a number of plays that start the same way. Like uh, they'll start with like a cross screen at the elbow for an inbound for uh, an entry pass. That's their snap series. The Suns have been really good at this for a number of years. That's a series within horns. They've got their double drag set up where it's still kind of like a horn setup, but the two guys at the elbows are setting screens for the ball handler to go from, you know, one side of the court to the other same alignment, same formation, uh, but they're different series within, within that formation. So I've been tracking what plays are running, how often they're running, which ones are working, which ones aren't working. Something I've noticed recently is they've been using their double drag series a lot. It's their most used series and they haven't been very good at it. And on the season, they haven't been very good at it. And part of the reason why is because in a lot of these possessions, they've had Pat Beverly as the ball handler coming off two ball screens and then nobody cares <laughs> um, exactly <laughs> because it's Pat Beverly and, and he's exactly. not pressuring the rim all that well. Now that Dennis Schroeder is playing, and I think yep. I, you can have fair criticism about his off-ball defense, which isn't new, his three-point shooting, which isn't new, yeah. but his ability to get to the rim was and is a, a pro. It's an asset for him and for this team. And we've seen the double drag series have a little bit of a, a revitalization recently since he's been the guy running it because you have to respect him. And whether he's coming off those two screens or if you're trying to overplay that, he'll reject them, cut right to the rim. And because you have both of those big men out at like the three-point line, their defenders are out of position and he's able to get layups with no contest. So that's been a a personnel change that has revitalized these set plays in a way that like I mentioned it on a pod a couple weeks ago. It was like these plays aren't bad. It's just you got to use better players for them or specific players for them. He's really helped with that. Um, another thing I, I won't like try to explain all the plays. We're going to get some more videos up around this stuff. Cause I, I think that's the best way to digest yep. this, but there's been one specific duo of plays, two plays that the Lakers have been really smart about using. And they've been their two most effective plays. One of them is balls on the wing eighties at the top of the key and a player coming in from the dunker spot of the corner will set like a, a cross, like diagonal back screen, or I'd call it a rip screen for 80 to cut to the block and then get a post up. And then they clear out, they'll run some weak side stuff and they let 80 go cook. That's been really effective. When they run that, the center in the, the lineup gets the ball and gets a scoring possession 71% of the time. So it is a very clear, like, if you want to get AD the ball, run this play, play. And it's been very effective. They get to the rim a bunch, they're scoring a bunch. The way teams have tried to defend that is by going underneath that diagonal screen so that AD can't kind of like beat them to the spot, which makes that play less effective. What it also does is it takes you out of position as a defense for AD to then set a ball screen at the wing instead of cuts the block. And that's why calling the first play first, that rip punch, so rip is that diagonal cross screen, punch is a post up, that rip punch clear set two, three times in a game, in a quarter, could be in a row. They've done it in a row. I've liked that. Get the defense to adjust, start going underneath, go around the screen. That then sets you up to run what I've just been calling a, a wedge empty all screen set. The wedge being uh, that screen is still set for AD, 
But instead of him going to the block, he's then going to set a ball screen. And then it's on an empty side. So as AD's rolling, there's no corner player or defender there to get in his way on his roll. So this is, with the defense taking themselves out of position, it's created so many easy driving lanes for that wing ball handler to come off of AD's screen in a 2v1 situation because AD's guy is just like completely out of the play. So that... I'll get some video up on that, but that like p- from a play calling standpoint, we haven't seen that kind of like setting ourselves up for success in the past. And I want to point out just like these aren't crazy elaborate plays. It's pretty simple stuff, but it's smart stuff and it's sequenced correctly so that they're optimizing the success of each play. If you only run one of these plays five times in a row, 10 times in a row, it's going to lose effectiveness each time. But if you run it two times in a row and then use the other the third time, you are maintaining a level of advantage as an offense that is really helping the team be successful. So I've noticed that. I've liked that. We'll get video out on that. And then my last note, because I've been rambling here a bit, is I've also seen in the data that the sideline out-of-bounds plays the team's running are not not good. They're not effective. They're not doing a good job. We kind of see this watching the games. But seeing the exact numbers – not just expected efficiency or not just actual efficiency, but expected efficiency speaks to how poor they've been. And the Lakers need to do one of two things. They either need to scrap some of the plays they're running and steal new ones or come up with new ones. Or unless it's like an end of game situation where you need to immediately get into something, just inbound the ball and then run a set play. Just run a normal play. You don't have to, you don't have to run a set play because you're inbounding the ball from the sidelines. You can just inbound the ball, you know, run your zipper cut, get a guy open, inbound the ball and then go set up and run your, you know, run your double drag stuff, run your horn snap stuff, run your five out stuff, whatever, because they've been so inefficient running their sideline stuff that like, you're just better off freelancing, honestly, running no play at all. They're more effective running no play at all than running their sideline stuff, which is, which is a bad sign. So of all of the things they're doing, they need to tweak or ditch the sideline stuff, except for, you know, again, late game, or we've got two seconds. We need to, call play catch and shoot kind of thing um that's the tweak that needs to happen but it's it's been interesting to follow tom because i'm seeing so much nuance in like oh they tried this out they hadn't been running this before i i have one tab in here that shows the set play usage each game and it's like color-coded and you can see like oh these three plays they installed game five and from game five to game 12 like they really leaned on them, but then they went, went away from them. Or since they've installed this, it's been one of their most frequently used set plays. Or like there are some plays that they use almost every single game. And then when they don't use it, like their double drag play, they used every game of the season except for the first San Antonio game. Like that's, you know, it's just interesting little stuff to see. So I've got this set up. All the folks in the Discord who are in the film room uh, channel, so the, the $5 a month lower bowl tier or any of the ones above it, are getting to see this. So it's a, you know, some fun little extra content that allows you to analyze the game in a way that uh, you just, otherwise nobody's doing this. I don't know anyone for any other team that's doing this. So it's uh it's a lot of work certainly, but it's very enriching in terms of the kinds of insights you can generate. Yeah. That's so cool because, but again, what you can do there is just analyze some of these patterns that are emerging and it's something that, if you had done it for last year's team, would look completely different. Like the offense feels like it's evolving, right? Like there is active mm-hmm. thought, uh, adjustment, and execution for better or worse, right? Mm-hmm. 
there's planning. There's literally evolution. Yeah. Like they try stuff. Sometimes it doesn't work and they stop it. Right. Other times they're like, oh shit, we, we found something. And then you right. see it just continue to grow. It's, it's so fun. So it, that's really super encouraging. Way. And you can see how the team has found some easy buttons um, here and there. And I think one of them lately has been Austin Reeves, you know, being able to um, play make, get to the free throw line. It's just absolutely insane how efficient this guy's been um, for an undrafted free agent, you know, playing with all Hall of Famers um, on either side of him. He is, I really feel like, arrived in comfort, in his comfort of an aggression and understanding how he can put his imprint on the game without being more athletic than somebody, um, you know, going out, even though he's pretty underratedly athletic but he's smart he knows where to be he knows how to get other guys where they need to be and i've been impressed at some of his playmaking and just level of aggression that the team is really needed um and you take beverly out of this lineup tim and you have reeves who's probably involved in some of those double drags you're describing right um mm-hmm. coming off either trying to get to the ram throwing a lob for ad getting fouled um, you have Schroeder now involved in that, Lonnie Walker. These are guys that are at least going to make a decision, whereas Patrick Beverly's is, decision is going to be, you know, eaten up as suit because he only has one choice, really. Um, he's not an aggressive scorer. He's not looking to pull up in the mid-range. Uh, he, he's just going to pass. So teams play you like that, and you don't have a counter to – it's it's really hard when there's just like the counter is let that guy do whatever he wants. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think you've seen how Beverly, you know, despite being still a pretty good defender when he's set in the right places, his offensive limitations, just because that's his weakness as an individual, makes it tough on a team of, you know, or lineups that he's in who don't have that, who also have some of those same weaknesses. It takes away some of his strengths just because of some of the other guys he's been surrounded by, and uh, and and his own limitations, right? So, mm-hmm. I, I'm curious what you think will happen once. I, I know it was only three games, but I did feel like okay, a little bit of a breath of fresh air. There's at least guys out on the wing who are going to d- make decisions, um, and mm-hmm. a lot of that was not there with Pat. Yeah, I mean, unless you mean like shoving a guy while his back is turned, made a decision. (laughs) Uh huh. Pat Beverly, from a like, I feel like from a passing standpoint, hasn't been all that bad this year. But he just doesn't have the the on ball gravity or scoring threat that enables you to be successful at a team level. And we've seen Schroeder be a breath of fresh air in that regard. We've seen Reeves be a breath of fresh air in that regard. Reeves is being used more could could be used even more uh as an on-ball guy and we're seeing what we talked about preseason with that playmaking with the pick and roll game with the just like he's isoed a bit and he's been good at it uh we're seeing him unleashed and, and like grow and you mentioned his foul drawing rate he had one of the he had an elite drive foul draw rate foul drawn rate last year but he just wasn't put in those situations a whole lot this year he's continued it and he's been doing it more. And we're seeing the Lakers reap the benefits of that. And it's interesting. I think Beverly, you know how we talked about like Russ defensively last year, like changed the Lakers lineup construction just because they couldn't put him at the point of attack. 
Pat Beverly offensively changes your lineup construction, I think, a little bit because you don't want him to be that guy that needs to threaten the defense as an on-ball player. And if so, you need to have a Russ or a Nunn or a Reeves or potentially a Walker, but the Lakers haven't really used a Walker in that role. You need to have one of the – let's say none in this situation. You, you put none in there. You're just suddenly very small, and that doesn't work as well because then then Pat Bev needs to be playing up. Uh, or you just have more small guys, so then defensively you're in a, a tougher situation. So the lineup construction implications of his limitations offensively are something to monitor. And I'm – as he's – he'll be back tonight. A lot of people, by the time they hear this, it'll be probably Thursday after the Portland game. I – I'm expecting that Bev won't be part of the starting lineup. And actually, I haven't seen a reporting about that. I haven't really been on Twitter all that much today, but I would, I guess I'd advocate for him to come off the bench. I think I'd like to see Reeves start, or if Reeves isn't starting, I think Schroeder in that in that position could make some sense. I think he's knocking some of the rust off. I think he's looked more like his Lakers self from a couple of years ago than he did like his Boston self from last year. I think I'd rather see him start than Bev, but Bev I think should still be in the rotation. I don't I don't agree with takes I've seen of people saying he's like the worst NBA player. He's just this horrific player. He offensively has been bad. He certainly hasn't shot well. A really high percentage of his shots are threes, so that's going to lower his like field goal percentage. I wouldn't look at field goal percentage to evaluate a guy shooting, but he's still not shooting well. It's just not as bad as it. You know, his shot diet shot diet impacts his field goal percentage to make it look. But defensively, he's. I mean, I'm interested. I'm interested in your thoughts, Tom, because as a uh, certified hater uh, for a long time, how have you? How has he looked? Because I know on ball, he's he's kind of past the reputation. It's not. It's not there anymore. But it'll still be a little noisy. But defensively, I like what I've seen. Like I think he's been a good defender, and I I'm curious if, if you've noticed the same. I mean, it's it's okay. It's uh, again, it's <laughs> okay. a lot of it's just limited to the offensive stuff. And like, if I do think as dumb as it is, just having a guy being physical and setting a tone of, you know, strength and um, not being a pushover like the He's a, a culture tone setter, thing. Tom. What? He's a tone setter. He's a it, tone setter. It's a thing. It's a thing that, again, so many things are unquantifiable about about um these interpersonal things and uh i don't know you know it could be he's helped a lot with austin getting his aggression up uh, it could be he's helped not at all um i don't know where any of these things are coming from but i know if you're gonna not play for three games because you have a history of this every time you do anything that's a little bit extracurricular you're putting your team in jeopardy and if you want to build um, and be a part of the building of positive evolution and offense, because you need it, you need to not be absent. Uh, and injury is one thing. That's, you know, nothing you don't – that's not your fault most of the time. So if unless he can, yeah, I don't know, stay on the court really and, and hit some more threes, ultimately that's what it comes down to. He needs to make more threes. Um, because the on-ball stuff is just pretty bad. Yeah, I agree. He's got to hit his – he – like the idea of Bev is – on this team is off-ball, catch-and-shoot or ball-mover guy. 
He's not really attacking closeouts. When he is, Tucker. he's looking to pass. Uh, yeah, yeah. He could be our P.J. Tucker offensively. And his three-point shooting hasn't been good enough, but it's also been much worse than it has been in previous years. So I think there's reason to believe he can bounce back with that. His defense, to me, is good enough that his overall impact is good enough that he should continue playing. Uh, looking at my spreadsheet here, the Lakers' freelance offense is worse when he's on court. Their half-court offense in sets is worse when he's on court. Their motion offense is worse when he's on court. Their help beaters are worse than when he's on court. So we've certainly seen the negative offensive impact. But at the same time, defensively, I I, I do think he's he's adding value. And enough so that at least in the other – we haven't run our LeBron data yet, but in SPI and some of the other metrics that I've seen run so far – defensively they are recognizing what he's bringing to the table he's not elite but he's good enough that overall he's like close to an average player which i think is i think that that's okay tom i want to run another thing by you i think i might have referenced this before i've also tracked in here when the lakers run plays versus when they're freelancing which guys are more and less involved would you like to guess which player sees their usage boost the most when the Lakers are running organized basketball. Uh, is it Lonnie? It is not Lonnie. Mm. Although he is second highest. Okay. Uh, I think my guess is probably Austin Reeves. I don't know. It's AD, actually. Oh, well, that's good. AD's a beneficiary. When they call plays, AD's more involved. Especially because, and you think about it, He's being used more as like a roll and cut big this year. So they're running more pick and roll sets and or they're running pick and roll sets where they're like clearing out a side for him to roll on much more in the organized ball than just like out there freelancing. Actually, that makes of sense. All players, that, because, all players. Yeah, sorry, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to talk about the guy who gets least involved. So, yeah, I was just going to say that makes sense because a lot of these guys on the team cannot create an advantage on their own. So when a scheme is able to create an advantage, oftentimes it's AD's man who's forced to step over and help giving AD a path and, you know, a lane to either a dump off, like you say, you know, a lob or just an easier looking, you know, getting the ball with momentum and a lane of some sort to put a shoulder into a guy and get a foul, get a decent look at the rim. Precisely. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And then if you could guess which player is sees their usage drop the most when the Lakers are running their sets. Honestly, it has to be LeBron. It's not. LeBron is... Uh, he's Did I get second, second lowest. So, okay, you got I just second guessed the second, guys. Damn it. Uh -huh. Russell Westbrook. Yeah, okay, again, that makes sense. His, his, usage, his scoring play type usage is 7.1% lower when the Lakers are in, in their organized offense than when they freelance. When they freelance, he's out there being himself, being aggressive, taking shots. He's getting to the rim a lot. He's, you know, there, there are benefits to this. But when they run their sets, he's generally not the guy they're calling set plays for. And that to me is interesting. We see it. He's like used as a screener, used as an off-ball player a bit. Or when he's on ball, they're, they're calling sets for him to facilitate. What I did see recently, past couple games, is I've seen more set plays that the Lakers have run 
purely to create noise and confusion away from the ball and clear out space for Russ to go 1v1. And I think that's resulted, like in the indie game, we saw it a bunch. They ran plays with like weak side, like a staggered screen. So you got three players involved defensively, just like doing things to make it so there's no help defense coming. And then Russ go work, just go to work rather than him try to go to work while all nine players around him on the court are looking at him. So that's been that's been another development that plays to his strengths. It helps him get to the rim. It helps him finish at the rim because there's going to be less help defense. But it leverages like off ball shooting. Um, it leverages you know all of these other guys and, and the gravity and confusion those set plays create. So season long, he's been the the biggest loser from a usage standpoint when they run stuff. But recently, I think it's it's turning around just a little bit. Does that include assists or no? It does not. So that's actually I, I'm not going to go back and relog 1600 plays, but that no, that's an interesting but that would element. change it, right? Like it yeah, would that be would better, it, I, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, this is purely looking at scoring uh, possession usage. So the person who took a shot or turned the ball over or drew the foul to get to the free throw line. Well, that's still an interesting and and does I think speak to you know how Russell Westbrook feels comfortable playing basketball. Um, it's, you know, he's very much just getting that to ISO mode again and just kind of see what happens. But his, you know, playmaking is still strong. So I will give him credit there. It's not, you know, the bottom of the list, I feel, if you include how he's involved in the overall offensive sets. He's not, you know, bringing the entire team down or anything. I just mm-hmm. think it's it's the crunch time low IQ basketball plays that have not him specifically caused this team three wins, but the lack of discipline from all of the team um, has cost them several wins, I think in this early, you know, quarter of the season. But um, I think that's a good place to leave it for now. Tim, we have some, some building the Lakers are doing uh, and starting to get to good basketball. So I will say I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, feeling better, but it's still, there's a long way to go. And this, uh, this roster has a lot of limitations. So um, we're going to be trying to put together some more stuff coming soon. I don't want to tease too much. Like you said, trying to get some more video work uh, in the mix. But for now, you know, send us a f- picture of a five-star review on your podcast app of choice. And we will get you into that discord where you can access all kinds of awesome community and different uh, materials from Tim and B-Ball Index. Uh, do you guys have any uh, plans for LeBron? Because that's always an interesting. I know it's a lot yeah. of work, so no, no pressure. It's a lot of work. It's one that Krishna at the site is is taking the lead with. I was, <laughs> I was like, this is what I, this is my wish list for what I'd like to be in the stat, and let's figure out how to make it work. But he's the one actually coding it. Um, and this year we've got a slightly different setup because rather than getting the advanced on off data, the RAPM data, the luck adjusted RAPM data from Ryan Davis, who runs the, the website NBA shot charts.com. Ryan's not going to be calculating it this year. So instead, Krishna's going to do it himself for that part of the metric, which previously, because we were using an external person, we were getting updated once a week. It's going to take us a couple of extra games to get that set up. But once it's set up, we'll be able to calculate LeBron and I don't want to promise anything here, but we should be able to calculate it daily, which will be a nice change from weekly. 
So we'll be able to get a better sense for how guys are trending over time. We in the past had gotten that up around 20 games in, which tonight's the 20th game for the Lakers. I think maybe give us another five. Uh, it's it's. I think we're you know it stinks to not have it out yet, but looking at how some of the other ones are performing so far, I'm not loving it. Uh, so we're gonna take our time. We're gonna wait till there's a little bit more data and let him build up that infrastructure. Um, but definitely go check that out once it's up. There's a uh, a season long like team win projections contest where a bunch of people submitted. Here's what we think each team's gonna do. So we have a LeBron submission. There's a 538 submission. There's uh, submission from uh, like EPM, Darko, all the different ones. And currently LeBron is ab- absolutely killing everybody. They're killing Vegas and are in number one in terms of uh, accuracy projecting team performance. That's so amazing. that's a fun little thing we get to root for. We have a page now at the site where you can go and see it's updated daily. Here's what we think. You know, the Lakers play the, Port- the Blazers tonight. We think the Lakers are going to win by four. I don't know, which gives them a... 60% chance to win the game or whatever. We think the point total is going to be this or that. So that updates every day. And then we also have a like season long standings projection set up where you could say, okay, well right now the Lakers have a 60% chance to make the playoffs or 40% chance or whatever. When we have odds at the one seed, the a top three seed making the, not the play in, like making the top six being in the play in or just missing altogether. And then we can click on the team and see their distribution of outcomes. So go check that out. That's included in our $5 data and tools package at people index, but getting back to the discord, got some fun stuff there ahead. That document I was referencing that's available to everyone in the lower bowl tier or above. Uh, there are like, I think five total tiers and uh, you, you could also just join for free and engage in most, a lot of the conversation is just free. It's, you know, great stuff. Excellent high quality, great community. I spend so much more time in there than on Twitter at these, at this point, uh, and depending on where Twitter goes, maybe even more time. Um, but once you get into that lower bull tier, you get that document, you get the film room channel, you get the bonus pods. I'm going to do another mailbag pod coming up soon. Uh, go up to the next level and you get access to the X's and O sessions. I have one coming up on Friday where I'm going to be breaking down the specific, scheme elements that the Lakers are doing best relative to the the rest of the league and my favorite plays. And I'm going to break them down in depth, like really in depth. Uh, so check that out if you haven't. Um, and then there are some higher level channels with even more access and some fun stuff I'm going to tell you about as soon as we stop recording here, Tom, because we've got some interesting news uh, regarding trades and other things. So that'll be fun. But I uh, want to... Shout out friends of the pod. Uh, so TJ Timotaji for generously supporting the pod as an arena sponsor. I've been working with him recently on putting together some uh, optimization ratings for coaching staffs. We we projected D LeBron values defensive impact based on physical tools, skills, skill data, and role, and then compare that to actual defensive impact and look at the difference, aggregate it at the team level, and then aggregate those seasons at the coaching level. And you get a really good sense for which coaches are good and bad at making the most of their defense. It looks really good. I love it. We share that in the Discord. We'll get that published at some point soon. Um, so shout out to him. He's in this top tier, and he's gotten a lot of my attention, a lot of my time uh, brainstorming that and putting that together. So great work from him. And then also want to shout out the uh, uh, Owner's Box folks, Zach Harris, QDadio, iPod Shuffle, Romario, Chamber, Miguel, T. Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdul, Abdul Rahman, Keneal Mason and Eric, uh, shout out to them. 
and then also to the courtside and lower bowl folks as well. You can get into those tiers checking out the uh, link that's in my bio on Twitter. That's uh, tinyurl.com slash supportlakersxpod. Or like Tom said, you can DM me, him, the uh, pod Twitter account, <laughs> or Tom, maybe the second pod Twitter account. That you <laughs> Don't talk recently. about it. Don't bring it up. It's confusing. Um, um, uh, cut it. Cut it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, DM us if I've served you the pod, and, and you can get in there as well. I have so classwork. Yeah. Sorry. No worries. So, yeah, we got that going on. And then playback, too. Go to uh, watchplayback.com slash Lakers watch party, and you can watch Lakers games with us. Most of the, like, a lot of the games, I'm on the stage talking about the games. When I'm not, we still generally have them, and then I'll be in the chat uh, when I'm, like, sick or somewhere I can't be, like, I can't talk, whatever. Uh, Laying in bed, (laughs) don't want to wake my fiance up. I'll still be in the chat. Uh, So check that out. Generally, we're on stage and, and bring some guests on. We've had pretty much, you know, so many different people from Lakers Twitter and we've got to uh, fill in the gaps because there's some great folks that we haven't had on yet, but check that out as well. It's a bunch of fun. Love it, man. Great being back with you. And um, until next time, we'll talk to y'all later.